If you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This should change everything we say, everything we do, everything we watch, everywhere we go, everything. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Fathers, we come before you, our our hearts are grateful, our hearts are humble. God, we seek You. We seek Your fame. We seek Your glory. God, I pray as we open Your Word right now that You would speak and that You would do so in a powerful way. Father, we ask You to hallow Your name in us. We pray that our kingdoms would be gone and Your kingdom would take center stage. Father, we pray that our will would be crushed and we would cry out in unity, nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will, Father. Oh, great God, would You stir in this place today like never before. Holy Spirit, we pray that You'd have free reign, that there would not be any rebellion, but there'd be total joyful submission. We pray against the schemes of the enemy, his vices, his deception, the confusion that he brings, the division that he wields. God, we pray against that, and we pray there would be great oneness with You and therefore oneness with one another. And so, Father, as we open Your glorious truth, the truth, Lord, we pray that the words would leap off the pages. We pray our hearts would be refreshed. We pray that our hearts would be challenged. We pray that we would become more like Jesus. And so, God, as You do the work, Holy Spirit, would You move in this moment? Would You cultivate in each of us a heart that the soil of our heart would be fertile soil, ready, excited, anticipating to receive the Word of God gladly? Oh, God, move me out of the way so that all we would see and hear is You. I pray that the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. Oh God, we love You. We worship You. Hallowed be Your name. And we pray this in the mighty, the matchless name of the risen Savior, the conquering King, King Jesus, do we pray. And we pray this in His name only. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue through this journey of prayer. And what prayer looks like in my life and your life. And what it should look like from a biblical perspective. The question that I pondered this past week was this particular question. And it really hit me hard. There's sometimes that you ponder a question in God's economy and perhaps it's an area of sin and God confronts you. Perhaps it's an area of weakness where you're struggling. This was one where God really struck me with this question and I began to meditate on it and pray about it and ask the Lord to give me His insight and what He would have me learn from this. And it led me to the title of the message. And the title of the message that you'll see there in your notes is simply this, Praying for Spiritual Strength. 
praying for spiritual strength. We are typically good at praying for physical needs, which, by the way, we need to do that. We're typically good at praying for issues of relationships, which we need to do. That's a very necessary step in the human life. But then I began to be challenged and convicted in a good, healthy way, asking myself as I ask you, do you and I currently pray on a habitual basis for spiritual strength? I mean, think about this for a moment. If you're a true believer today, according to Scripture, you are in a spiritual battle. If you are in a spiritual battle, you and I will need spiritual strength. Do we pray for spiritual strength? It's so easy to lose the war, not on the outside, but on the inside. It's very easy to lose the spiritual war, not because of what's going on around us, but what really is going on inside within us. Someone once said this famous quote that if you win the war with the man inside of you, you will win every war that's outside of you. There's something that happens in every human being, whether rescued by Jesus or not, where there's a battle going on. And just because you give your life to Jesus, which by the way is the most glorious thing you will ever do in your life, doesn't mean that you are freed or insulated from pain. It doesn't mean that you're free or insulated from a spiritual battle. You will see in Scripture just the opposite, that all who desire, there's a hunger, a thirst, a craving to live for Christ Jesus all the days of your life. The Word says this, you will suffer persecution. It's part of this life, that if you're really going to live the crucified life, if you are here today, you're saying, man, I've been crucified with Jesus, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me, you are literally replacing your life for His life in you. And in this body of death, in this realm that we live in, in a broken, depraved, fallen world, there is a battle raging And we must be people, I must be a pastor, who we are praying fervently for spiritual strength. You think through this, and our text, I believe, answers this question and this thought beautifully. As Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bible, verse 14, here's what he says in following... For this reason, Ephesians 3.14, I bow my knees before the Father. Very interesting. Look at 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16, here's the, so that, that according to the riches of whose glory? His glory. He may grant you to be what church? Strengthened. How? With power through His Spirit. Don't miss this. In your inner being. 17. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. That you, that me, being rooted, I love this visual, and grounded in what? Love. May have strength, there it is again, to do what? To comprehend with who? All the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love, there's that word again, of Christ. That does what? Surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with what? 
all the fullness of God. And then he pivots and says these famous, powerful words. Now to Him, capital H, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. How? According to the power at work where, church, don't miss this, within us. To Him. To Him be the glory. Where? In the church. And in Christ. Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. That's one powerful prayer, isn't it? Do you see why I've asked myself if I'm praying for spiritual strength after reading that? It's just too easy to fall into a prayer rut. It's just too easy to fall into the me-centered prayer world. Paul here, you got to understand the context. He's writing this book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. He's in prison, house arrest, confinement. He's still in prison. And here he is, and he's writing this prayer by the illumination key of the Holy Spirit, and he comes swinging out of the gate when in your Bible in front of you, if you look at verse 13, he says these incredible words that give us a springboard launching pad. He says this, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. To catch this, let me read this again. Like This is amazing. In verse 13 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart. Don't bend, don't buckle, don't break, don't throw on the towel, keep pressing on, keep looking at Jesus. What? What I am suffering for you. you got to understand that Paul was a a modern-day human pinata for the gospel. He was shipwrecked and beaten and abandoned by friends. Over and over, he's out there on the edge and he's imploring people saying, my life on the Damascus Road got radically rocked. My life is no longer my own. I'm living this life that many might come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. He's imploring people He's literally getting stoned. He's getting thrown out. That's not being on drugs, by the way. He's getting stoned. All that's going on in his life, it's just crazy. He's getting thrown out of cities. People hate him. Everywhere he goes, he's starting riots. And he will not bend. He has been determined. He's determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the mantra of his life. He wants to leave everything on the field. He doesn't want to cross the finish line coasting. Uh, he wants to break the tape. Nothing left in the tank. I mean, Jesus went to the cross for me, Paul's saying. He gave everything for me. How can I live a life of casual Christianity? How can I live a life with one hand in and one hand out, which means I'm really all out? How can I do that, Paul is saying? And you understand the context. He's, he's writing to this church. And he says these three words there in verse 14 when he starts off verse 14 with, for this reason. For this purpose. Matter of fact, if you look up in your Bible, look at verse 1 if you have the ESV translation, and you're going to see the same three words. For this reason. See, Paul always had a purpose behind what he did. His purpose was always dialed in to what God was going to do in him as he gave God all the glory. That was his aim. He said, I make it my aim to be well-pleasing to my king. And then he says these words in verse 14, I bowed my knees. This is very intriguing because in that culture, you would typically pray standing up with your hands 
out wide. What is Paul getting at here? Why would he switch gears and say, for this reason? In light of verse 13, I've been suffering so that many might come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. For this reason, I bow. I get on my knees. Do we have to bow and get on our knees when we pray? Is that required from Scripture? No. But what is very intriguing is that often what I do on the outside is a direct reflection of what's going on on the inside. And there is something that happens, not for show, not out of pretense, but when you and I begin to, on the outside, get low, it often represents what's going on in our hearts as we're bowing before the Father. See, Paul was the Pharisee among Pharisees. He had a lot of head knowledge. He just didn't really know Jesus. I believe there's a lot of people in churches today all across our country that have a lot of head knowledge. They just don't really know Jesus. And He doesn't know them. But when the Holy Spirit begins to break through the stony, rebellious, defiant heart, as the Holy Spirit works like only He can into that inner man, He begins to break through like only He can. And as He's busted through Paul's heart, that rebelliousness, that he's an executioner of Christians. He's holding the coats as they're being carried away. And now, go figure, go figure. Now, he's the Billy Graham for the gospel of Jesus in that day. How does that happen? Only by a work of the great God. He bows intentionally. I can just picture him bowing. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Hallowed be Your name in me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Reveal in me the pride. Reveal in me the rebelliousness and the defiance. I can picture Paul just crying out in this prayer time of, God, thank You for saving me from myself. Thank You for loving me and setting me free. Oh God, do the work in me and do it now. I can picture Paul just laying out his brokenness before the Father. Think about this thought in key number one that I want you to write down. Key number one. As I pray for spiritual strength, I must daily remind myself that it all begins with my heart being humble. If we miss this, we simply cannot pass go and collect 200, as we often say. Key number one, as I pray for spiritual strength, and I know I need spiritual strength, here it is, you must daily remind yourself, I must daily remind myself that it all begins with a heart being humble. Paul internalized this. If you read his writings in the New Testament over and over, here's what you see the theme of. Paul didn't say, hey, I'm Paul, and you know what? Man, I'm, I'm the sauce. No, what did he say? I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, Paul, a bondservant, a willing slave. Willing. Here's my life, God. You take it. You use it. Matter of fact, you look at Scripture, and Paul at one point got into this humility pattern somewhat deep, and then he went deeper. He said, look, I'm the least of the apostles. That's a glorious statement, but he really understood who he was compared to the glory of God through the empty tomb and the cross. He said, oh, I'm the chief of sinners. I mean, you see the humility. There is something about humility that you come across a man, a woman, a student, a child that has humility in their life. They're humble. They're coachable. They're teachable. It does something. It's infectious in a good way. 
It spreads in a good way. It's not toxic poison that our culture applauds and embraces. This launch point shows a heart that's ready to receive. When you're warring against others, it's typically an indicator that you're warring against God in some fashion. And as battles go on, and the heart begins to slowly over time become calloused and self-focused, and remember pride rears its head in so many ways, and often pride is, is just not what we'd call arrogance, but it really is self-worship, and even dovetails into what we call self-pity. Most of the time when self is in front of the Word, it's a negative thing. Self-denial is a really good thing. Self-worship, self-pity is not a good thing. It's focused on me. It's focused on what I'm not getting. And there's an internal turning that, that says, here I am. And Paul's saying, don't look in you, look to Christ. We know that there typically are two paths to humility. One person said the definition of humility is power under control. And the two paths often are humble yourself or be humbled. Humble yourself or be humbled. That's how God works because He resists the proud. He's in direct opposition, literally going to war. Think about this for a moment. From Scripture, it says He opposes the proud. He's saying this, if you and I are a prideful person, rebellious, we're defiant, we're not humble, coachable, He literally is going to war against us. Now, someone tell me how that one's going to work out. And what happens is this, it doesn't just, my pridefulness or your pridefulness doesn't just impact me, it now impacts your family, it impacts everyone around you, your home, your business, your ball team, your church, it spreads like a toxic poison. Paul says, look, I bow my knees for this reason. I'm going through suffering. My life, my life is so difficult, Paul is saying. You look at some of his writings, and there was a point in there where he said, we're even despairing our lives. We're ready to die. It had gotten so difficult, and yet he said this, I'm determined. I'm determined to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You're probably thinking about this humility thought, and what does the Old Testament have to say about it? Well, write down 2 Chronicles 34, 27. 2 Chronicles 34, 27. Here's what it says, because your heart was tender. Oh, I love that. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard His words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also heard you, declares the Lord. Did you catch that? The heart's tender. There, there's something about someone's heart who is tender. Ever been around a child whose heart is not tender? What do you see on a child's face when their heart is not tender? Rage. We can see it in their eyes. There's a stiff-necked, a brazenness, a defiance. Don't tell me what to do, Mom, Dad. And the reality is we battle against the toddler syndrome all of our life. The whole point of giving your life to Christ is not just fire insurance. It's not so that He can just bless your plans. It's that you and I would joyfully submit to His will for His glory, for His praise, that as we crucify the enemy of self, it really is Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I, it's no longer about me. So many people today, even good church-going people, the reality is they're living a life that's totally about them. Totally. Called walking in deception. And Paul is modeling this. He's suffering. He's imprisoned. He's lost everything. 
except he has everything. He's got Jesus. You think through that verse, tender, humble, turning away, tearing your clothes outwardly, weeping outwardly, but the humility and the tenderness is inward. An inward change that expresses itself through an outward action. What does Matthew 5.3? Write that one down. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying there? Is He saying that, hey, if you got a poor spirit, like you got a crummy, stinking, lousy attitude, you're going to be blessed? Is that what He's saying? No, blessed is the poor in spirit means this. Blessed are those who are humble. There's something about being around a humble person. It is just attractional. When you're around someone who's prideful and rebellious and defiant, it is repelling. Why? It's light versus darkness. The two don't go together. They have no fellowship with one another. Paul's saying, look, I'm getting on my knees. I'm not standing up, although you can. I'm not raising my hands, although you can. I'm getting on my knees because I'm humbling my heart. Saying, God, I want You to just take over even more in my life. What about 1 Peter 5? Write this down. 1 Peter 5, 6-8. through 1 Peter 5, 6-8. through 8, Often we'll quote verse 8, which is an amazing verse, but we forget about verse 6 and 7. It says this, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 and 8. Humble yourselves. Did you catch that? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So picture this. There's a humility that's joyfully saying, I want to get under. But God, through His Word, says, humble yourselves. In other words, I'm responsible for humbling myself, and you are responsible for humbling yourself. And by the way, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Humble yourselves. Go to war against the mean monster. Do battle against the craving to be in control. Do battle against the craving to have the applause. Do battle against, got to have it my way all the time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I love that. So that at the proper time, did you catch this? There's always a proper time in God's economy. He's never early, He's never late. He's always right on time, amen? And here Peter is writing saying, look, I want you to understand this deep truth. I want you to understand this deep truth that you must humble yourself. He will exalt you. And then he switches gears in a positive way and says, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Literally in the original language, just take all that you're dealing with right now, whatever my struggle is, whatever your struggle is right now, we're all across this room, whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever the burden might be, the heartache, the pain, the disappointments, the wounds from the past, whatever it is, here's what God's Word commands. He says, take all of that. I know it can be heavy, and right now it can be a really big bag, and you're, you're kind of bent over, and you're going, I can't carry this any longer. Well, here's what God wants me and you to do. Just take that and just heave it upon Him. Like, just cast it on Him right now. What if everyone across the room right now just takes all their burdens, and we just cast it on the Lord? But now you, can, now you can stand straight up, right? What I'm learning is He is not asking me to carry the burdens. He's asking me to give Him the burdens Christ is so that He will carry me. Cast it on Him. Humble yourself. That's the insanity of sin. We can be so prideful that we're saying, you know what, I'm going to carry my own burdens. I'm going to show them. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. 
That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. No, he says, cast it on him. Right now, just give him your burdens. And then he switches gears again and says, be sober, be clear-minded, be vigilant there. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, he does what? He prowls around. He's prowling right now. Even right now in the room, he's prowling. He's prowling around. Seeking who he may devour. Think about what a humble, coachable, teachable attitude, a posture of the heart that demonstrates itself in an outward behavior and action will now do as the enemy is trying to plant landmines all throughout your life. You're imitating Christ for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross and despising the shame, and now He sits at the right hand of the Father. You now are saying, I want the mind of Christ. Think about what that weapon is going to do in your life as the enemy is assaulting you. Why does Paul bow on his knees? Well, look at 16 through 19. This is mission critical. That according to the riches of his glory, I love this, Ephesians 3, 16 and following, I love this. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. Why? That you, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. May have strength to do what? To comprehend. With who? All the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, that you may be filled to the fullness of God. Think about this thought. Where's Paul? Do we know? Prison. He suffered greatly. Have you considered when you read these verses Who is Paul praying for? Who is he praying for? Himself? He's praying for the church. Think through this. Shipwrecked, abandoned by friends throughout his life, beaten, undermined, lied about, slandered. Now he's imprisoned. I don't know about you, but if those are my circumstances, I know who I'm praying for. Do you see the humility? Do you see the Christ-likeness? His back is literally against the ropes. He's confined. And his thought is not to pray for himself, but to pray for and strengthen the church. Wow, that's good. He looks such a way from himself, which is so hard to do in our flesh. And he says, I'm praying for you that according, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. Here it is. He didn't say that he may grant me, Paul. He says that he may grant you. He is interceding in the midst of his pain. Don't waste your pain as a great opportunity to actually intercede for somebody else in the midst of your pain. Just think about that for a moment. You're going through pain. We all do. Imagine what will happen as you and I begin to pray for someone else, even in the midst of our pain. What will begin to happen in our own hearts as we pray for someone else in the midst of our pain? I believe the God of all comfort who comforts those in their tribulation will begin to comfort us and ours as well. There is just something that happens when we look away from me and no longer worship self, and we deny self, and we take up our cross, and we follow Him, and we begin to pray, and we pray hard, and we plead with God, and we pound on the door of heaven, and we say, God, I don't like where you have me. It's lousy. It stinks. Come, God. 
I'm going to go your way, regardless if you go my way or not. I'm going to begin to pray for other people. I'm going to look away from myself and look to you, Father, and give you the glory as I pray for others in their trials. Imagine what's going to happen to you and I internally as God does that work. Look at this phrase here, very key in verse 16. Through His Spirit in your inner being. According, 16, to the riches of His glory, not our own, that He may grant you what? To be strengthened, to be girded, to have power, to have an ability to press forward through His Spirit, Holy Spirit, in your inner being. See, the Holy Spirit works right there in the Scripture. He, not it. You don't grieve and quench an it. You grieve and quench a he. And it's possible even as a believer to be choking the Holy Spirit. And my concern is all over our country today, I believe there's many people who are believers that are choking the Holy Spirit. He's trying to work. He's trying to break through. He's trying to do what needs to happen in my life and your life. But what so often happens is with a rebellious, defiant, non-humble attitude, He's not working. Our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. He says in your inner being, think about this, the power in the spiritual battle is from what's inside of you. If the reality is that you're spiritually dead on the inside, what do you think is going to happen to you as you go to battle in the spiritual realm? If you're spiritually dead on the inside, what is going to happen as you attempt to do battle in the spiritual realm? It's a fool's errand. That's why it's so important that we humble ourselves under the Lord. We get in His Word. We joyfully submit to that. We get on His page. We're not rebellious and defiant. We're not trying to cause problems. We're not sowing discord. Don't have it my way. It's, it's God's way. But that's not what our culture applauds nor endorses. So we fight. We battle. That's what it means to struggle. Matter of fact, Jude 1.3 says it like this, that I write to you earnestly that you might contend for the faith. Literally contend. There's a battle going on. There's a wrestling match. There's a duking it out in the spiritual realm. And that's why he says, so Christ may dwell in your hearts. Christ may take up residence. When you look at the original language on this dwelling in your hearts, it's not like he's stopping over for a sleepover. This isn't one of these deals where it's like, you know, hey, raise the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked, I'm in. He's talking here in the original language that literally there's a transfer of ownership. That's the visual here. That you're literally saying, God, I want you to take my broken life that's a mess. I'm going to give it to you. I now willingly have no rights to it. You do whatever you want with it. It's yours. You make it what it needs to be as you dwell in my heart. He's not looking to rent a room. He's looking to purchase the house of your heart and take full ownership so that what well there'll be faith through you being rooted and grounded in love so think about this so i was outside yesterday and i was doing a little yard work i noticed there were some weeds probably way too many of them there should have been oops and so i'm reaching down to grab one weed and it pulls up fairly easily so I'm assuming the rest are going to come up pretty easily. Well, I get to another one, and I'm sure the neighbors had a good chuckle as they were spying on me out their window because I yanked on it and about fell over. I thought, man, that's a serious weed. So I you know, tried to act macho and like, no, I meant to do that. And I yanked on it again and again and again, and finally got a lawnmower and just ran over it. Well, there's a sermon illustration there because guess what? The weed's still there. But I felt better. And I got to think for a moment. I thought, 
That's the definition of being rooted right there. And that goes both ways. See, Proverbs says this, that sin will ensnare that you're caught in the cords of sin. That the roots go so deep into the heart. I mean, they go deep within the soil, and they not only go deep, but they begin to intertwine around anything they can find. That weed I was trying to pull out was intertwined. It was deep, and it was intertwined. In the negative, that's what sin does. It gets deep. It doesn't want to come out. That's why the rebellious heart can be so hard to break. To break that child's will. To break that adult person and their will after years, after years of having this be so ingrained. It's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit. Now go to the positive. Imagine that we're rooted and grounded in love deep, deep, deep and intertwined. Just picture that for a moment. Imagine a fellowship of believers that are deep in the Word, intertwined around the Word, that are deep in God's love and they're intertwined around His love. Can you imagine the billboard for His glory that's going to happen in that fellowship? And that's what Paul's praying for here. That you'd be so deep with Christ and one another. That you're rooted and cannot be shaken no matter what comes our way. As the winds, as they blow, as the storms batter our sails. As Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. I pray for me and you would be rooted and grounded in love. That we may have strength right there to do what? To comprehend with all the saints the battlefield of the mind, the length and the height and the depth. He's showing the vastness of God's love. When you think about the execution, the scourging, the whipping, the beating, the mocking, the torture that Christ went through so that He could free you from yourself, that He could free me from myself, how could we ever get to a point where we think Easter is about bunnies and chocolate eggs? Do we really understand our rescue? But do we really understand that freedom is never free? It costs Jesus' life to rescue me, to rescue you, to pull us from the pits. Paul is pleading, he's praying, he's suffering. He said, I want you to have unity among you. Don't walk in selfishness. You know this, we study this in James 3, verse 16. Where you have selfishness and envy, here's going to be the result. In every one of those entities, you're going to have confusion in every evil thing. That's what James 3, 16 says. If your home's a wreck, your ball team, your business, your church, whatever entity you're in, if it's a wreck, I can assure you there's selfishness and envy because the result is confusion and every evil thing. And trying to root that stuff out can take years. Once it gets caught in there, we get so used to the darkness, don't we? Well, we love this is great. Our eyes begin to acclimate to it. God hasn't called us to live in darkness, He's called us to live in the light, He's called us to walk in holiness. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, have no fellowship within fruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Paul is pleading. He's pleading. And that's why key number two, he says this. As I pray for spiritual strength, key number two, I must daily remind myself that the power is a result of the Holy Spirit working in in me. Let me say that again, key number two, as I pray for spiritual strength, if that's you here today and you're like, man, I need spiritual strength. I am seeing the battle I'm in. Can't do this alone. I am praying for spiritual strength. I must daily remind myself, you must daily remind yourself that the power is a result of the Holy Spirit 
working in me. One of the schemes of the enemy in the Christian life is to try to convince us that we can live this life on our own. That's a life in the pit of hell. God has actually designed us for community first, vertically with Him, and then horizontally with one another. It's the picture of the cross. Vertically with Him, we go vertical, have that community with Him, and then what happens, our horizontal relationships take care of themselves. If we're a prideful person, we have a broken vertical community. Why? Because God opposes the proud. I've heard people say this, well, he or she's a prideful Christian. No, they're not. It's a contradiction in terms. You can't be a prideful Christian. How do you know? God opposes the proud. This is how serious pride is. It's not something to be laughed at or toyed around with, and that's just their idiosyncrasies. No, it's sin. And it will destroy, it destroys families and marriages and relationships like you wouldn't believe. It's all about a humble heart. It's John 13. Jesus, he's ministering. King Jesus. He's washing stinky, gnarly feet. He's humbling himself. He came to this earth and humbled himself. Why? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. It's all about humility and trusting the Holy Spirit. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, write it down, says it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Boy, have you heard that before? Church in Ephesus, church in Corinth, interesting theme. Paul writes to both, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, did we say that before? The inner man is being renewed day by day. How does your inner man, inner woman, inner student, or child get renewed? It's by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about John. Look at these verses from John that give you a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 16. Write that down. John 14, 15 through 16. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is Jesus speaking here. This is John 14, 15. Easy to remember if you can count. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. What is Jesus saying here? Real simple. If you love me, you will obey me. See, disobedience is a broken, vertical community. Disobedience is warring and quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit with inside of you if you're a true believer. There's a stranglehold in the life that says, I want me, but I also want this. And now there's a bottleneck. There's a quenching of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you really love me, you're going to obey me. And then he goes on here in the same text, 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father that he will give you another helper, capital H, love this, to be with you how long, church? Forever. Even the spirit, here's key, of truth, not darkness, not deception, not confusion, not twisting and manipulation, no truth, whom the world cannot receive. You see this? Polar opposites, butting heads, because it neither sees him nor knows him. However, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Like if you're a true believer here today, and I pray we all are, if you're not, I pray that you get radically rocked today. If you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This should change everything we say, everything we do, everything we watch, everywhere we go, everything. The Holy Spirit. It's about the inner man. And Paul is pleading as he's suffering in prison. He's saying, I'm pleading, I'm pleading, I'm pleading that in the midst of my suffering, that you will see it's all about the Holy Spirit working within you because John goes on in chapter 16 now 
8 through 9, and he says this about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. When people are walking in sin, we pray that that person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would have the blinders removed, would no longer be deceived. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Should we be involved in that process? Perhaps the Lord involves us at times in that, and I believe that does happen. But we know ultimately it's not what I say or you say to that person. It's a convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It's the, what we call the illumination. Like it begins to illuminate in that person's heart and eyes and mind, and they begin to go, wait a minute, I'm blind, but now I can see. I was deaf, and now I can hear. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how does all that work? Well, I gave you these last week, but i got to give them to you again, so write them down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10-16. through 16. Highlight this all throughout your Bible. Here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth, which struggled so deeply with sin issues. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 10-16. He says, these things God has revealed to us through what church? The Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Look at the vastness of this. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? That's a little less. Here he goes. So also, no one comprehends. Did you catch this? If you hold that place there, that thought, and you go back over here to your text, what do you see? Well, when you look there in your text, you see so beautifully that word in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend. See, the battlefield of the mind can only really understand that which the Spirit is illuminating. Here it is. As we go back to 1 Corinthians, here's what it says, so beautifully taught by God's Word. I love this. So glorious about this comprehending, comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, no, we haven't but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths. There's that word truth to those who are spiritual. However, the natural person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolishness to Him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself, what? To be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? Here it is. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow, isn't that good? It's rich. This is rich. This is freedom. This is joy. This is contentment. The world has nothing to offer you. Nothing. Like zero. The only thing the world has to offer you is one trap after another. The American dream, if you're, that's your pursuit today, you're going to get to the end going, that's the American nightmare. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His glory. It's all about living on the edge for Him. Given all that you are to Him, being all in, holding nothing back, that's what God calls us to. And you say, well, where do we go from here? Well, look in your Bible. So here it is, verse 20, the last part. This is Paul speaking again, and by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and well, he begins to rev the biblical motor. He's going to unleash a fury of spiritual horsepower here. Here we go. 20 and 21. Now to Him, capital H, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work, where church? Within us. To Him be the glory, where? In the church. Where else? And in Christ Jesus. For how long? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Key number three. Write it down. As I pray for spiritual strength, I must daily remind myself that God is able. 
and to Him be all of the glory. Key number three, as I pray for spiritual strength, I must daily remind myself that God is able and to Him be all of the glory. Church, do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God is able? Do your prayers reflect that you believe that God is able? See, so often we pray in the finite, don't we? Well, we look at what we can do. We look at our resources and we go, okay, Lord, we're here for you. We love you. You're great. Wonderful. It's been an amazing day. But we pray with this mindset that we know what we can accomplish and somehow we put that template on God. I believe God is looking for people who take that temple and put it in the garbage. And they're just desperate for a move of Him. They want to see Him do a work. They don't want business as usual to be in their life any longer. They want to live on the edge. They want to make a difference. They want God that when they begin to pray, the place begins to shake. Oh, how I long. Oh, how I long to see that happen. I was thinking through that thought and I wrote down these verses. Write down Acts 1.8. Write down Acts 1.8. But you will receive power, there's the word again, when the Holy Spirit, here we go, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's what's being said here in this incredible text. You will be my witnesses in the original. It's where we get our word martyr. Now where's the clipboard to sign up for that team? The martyr team. This is the whole point that when Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. He's saying, you know what? I am dying to myself. I am willing, if God calls me to, to be a physical martyr for His glory, but at a minimum, at a minimum, I will be a spiritual martyr for His glory. Think about this text from Jeremiah, Old Testament 32. 26 through 27, Jeremiah 32, 26 through 27, the weeping prophet, he was under so much pain, so much derision, constantly hounded, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Here's what he says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What an incredible verse. Imagine you take that verse in your life today, whatever you're going through, whatever the challenge, whatever the struggle and the battle you're in, and you say, God, I don't know what your will is, but I know this for certain. I know there's nothing too difficult for you. Can you imagine you get a bunch of people praying that prayer together? What's going to happen? There's nothing too difficult for you, God. Oh, God, will you hit the field? God, will you come onto the field with power and might? Will you move in such a way that we know it's only you? Will you do the work that only you can do so that once you do it, we're not taking the glory. We're hitting the deck. We're going to bow our knees and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Imagine what would happen in my life and your life. You say, well, I'm not Jeremiah. I'm just an ordinary person. Okay. How about Luke chapter 1, 37 through 38? Luke chapter 1, 37 through 38. Mary. Mary gets approached and has shared the news that she's expecting a child. Really? Not just a child, but the child. Really? And she says, how can this be? She questions. But then she understands the reality that there's nothing too difficult for the great God. And she says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Amen, church? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Do you see the humility? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. This is not about me and my plans and what I want to do in life. This is all about you, God. If I'm going to be your vessel, bring it. 
Use me for your glory. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She went from how can it be to let it be. How do you get there? On your own merit? On your own strength? No. You humble yourself. Say, God, I want you to do something. I'm tired of living this life on a merry-go-round going nowhere. I want you to have all of me, not some of me. I want to be all in for your glory. And that's why the takeaway question is, so when was the last time that I, that you, intentionally prayed for spiritual strength? When was the last time, truthfully, that you prayed to the Lord saying, God, I need spiritual strength? See, typically, we pray for spiritual strength when we know we're in a spiritual battle. You say, how do you know you're in a battle? Well, what does 2 Corinthians tell us in chapter 10, 3-6? through Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The person in your life that's rebellious and defiant and that's pushing against and undermining, you don't war against them. They're just being used by the enemy. They're walking in darkness. Paul says here, we're not warring against one another. He goes on and says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds. I love that one. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad by the power through prayer that God is greater? No matter what the struggle might be, God is greater. No matter what's in your life today that seems insurmountable, God is greater. No matter the sin in your life today when it's confessed and repented from and turned from, His grace is deeper still. What do we do? Well, verse 5, we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion, the pridefulness, raised against the knowledge of God. See, there's the war. I take every thought captive. Every thought is captive. To obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So how do you take all that and say, I'm going to leave here in a moment I need to go do something. How do you take all of that and say, I'm getting ready to leave. What am I going to resolutely commit to do? Well, here's the action step. By the power of the Holy Spirit, don't miss that first part. As I pray for spiritual strength, I will ask the Lord to empty myself of myself. Now I'm going to warn you, this is dangerous in a great way. For you that are going to take this on, you're going to get set free. You're going to get set free. Some of you for the first time in your life are going to get set free. For those that say, you know what, this is not for me, you're going to continue to live in a self-imposed prison. See, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we get set free by walking in truth, not darkness. You may think through this and go, well, where do I go? Well, well, are the people around me making me more like Jesus? Is my network of people around me, are they directing me more to Christ? Are they dragging me down? We're not to be unequally yoked, the Bible says. Not just in marriage, but even in relationships. We must fill our lives with people that are God lovers, that are in the Word, that are prayer warriors, and you get those people around you, and now your soul begins to sing for joy. How about you? How about me? We need just not a revival. We need a revival of the fearless proclamation of the Word of God without apology, and a revival of prayer that is saturated in gut-wrenching confession and repentance. Oh God, teach us to pray. Father, we come before You. Lord, how my heart is heavy as so many are walking in spiritual deception. Oh God, I pray that You would stir. 
Holy Spirit, would You stir. God, I pray that me, that all of us would bear fruit, as the Word says, that is worthy of repentance. Holy Spirit, as You are speaking right now in this time, whatever You're calling us to turn from, give us the courage right now to flee. For some, it might mean the drastic step of severing a relationship. God, whatever You are calling us to do, would You speak? And then give us the courage to trust You with the consequences of our obedience to You. Oh, move. Move in power this day. As we pray for spiritual strength for the battle. As we humble ourselves knowing that You're more than able. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.